Thank you very much, Danielle. Uh, let's uh, let's pray, and then we're gonna get. We got a lot to get to tonight. I'm uh, very excited, very burdened for the depth of the message tonight. It is it's massively important for each of us to come to uh, to real grips with what God has to say to us through the verses that Danielle just read. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for the revelation of you that it is, Father. I, I pray that you would guide our thoughts tonight, Father. Guide my words tonight, Lord, that we might apprehend the truth of the revelation of your story, your ultimate plan to redeem the world and restore us and restore our relationship with you. Connect our hearts to that, Father. I pray against the enemy tonight. I pray that you would keep each of us, myself and each one of us in this room, free from distraction, God, that we would connect with the the depth and the simplicity of what it is you want to say to us tonight. I thank you for Jesus and his beautiful and horrific cross. And I thank you for the redemption that you provided. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, the main theme, the main thought of tonight is this is the redemption plan of God throughout all of history. This is it. From all of history, from the time of the fall to this moment tonight, to this moment that we look at tonight, uh, everything is leading to Jesus and his actions for the next few moments. Uh, everything has been... There is symbolism all over tonight, and we'll look at some of that symbolism. But the main thing for us to come away with tonight is this is God's plan to redeem us. I want to say that carefully. I'm going to say a lot of things really carefully tonight because it's, it's massively important. This is God's plan to redeem us. This is, tonight is God's plan to redeem you. Some history that we need to get into before we get into the depth of the message. Um, Talking about the Passover, so I want to explain what it is the Passover is. The Long ago, in the time of Moses, the, the Jews, the Israelites, the people of God, were captives under Egypt. They were slaves under the Pharaoh in Egypt. God sent ten plagues to Egypt as a, a warning sign, as a, strength, uh, a show of power of God in, for, him, for the Pharaoh to let God's people go. The last and uh, final plague was this angel of death that the Passover celebrates. And, and here's the deal. On a specified night, there was to be a perfect lamb sacrificed, that is, killed, destroyed. Uh, men of, in Israel had lots of cattle, and what they had were lambs, and they were to, to kill and sacrifice the perfect lamb, and then feast on that lamb, which is important symbolism. They were to sacrifice this lamb, and then consume it in a feast. We're going to have a feast on Friday night, uh, a Thanksgiving feast, and it's no mistake that we're, it's not, just doesn't happen this way. We are intentionally having a feast because we are going to feast on what God has provided for us, and it's very symbolic, and it's symbolic here, and it's symbolic for us in this age on Friday night when we, and I'll talk about it on Friday night, but it's symbolic for us to, to feast upon it. So they're feasting on this lamb, but that's not all they do. They take this blood and they sprinkle it on the doorpost. So this 
sacrificial Passover lamb, its blood provides the life for everyone that's in that house. So this angel of death comes, and if the, the Passover lamb's blood is sprinkled over the doorpost, this angel of death does not visit this house. And so any house that doesn't have this lamb's blood covering it, the firstborn child in that house will be dead in the morning. And it's there's symbolism all over it. And, and I want to bear with me a second. I'm going to go grab something outside. Uh, we're going to test my microphone, see if it continues to work. Is it working? I think it is. What is happening? What is happening is this: the sign, its purpose, is to direct people who haven't been here before that North Church meets in this building. All right. If we put it like this in front of Jeff and Mike, Jeff, which way is that arrow pointing? Mike, which way is that arrow pointing? Imagine back there is Christ. This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. Everything looking towards this arrow is pointing towards Jesus. If you're in the Old Testament, you're pointing towards Jesus. If you're in the New Testament, you're pointing backwards towards Jesus. No matter which way you're looking at it, from the Old Testament perspective, from the New Testament perspective, this is a big, giant arrow pointing towards Jesus. We follow on that? I'm going to put it up here because I want this to serve as a reminder for all of that we walk through tonight. That all of the Old Testament, the Passover when it actually happened in the time of Moses... And the Passover here, when the stuff that we're, we're describing, and for us in 2009, when we celebrate the Passover, when we study the Passover, it's all a big, giant arrow pointing toward Jesus. Do you see that? This sign, its purpose is to point us towards where North Church meets. The purpose of the Passover, when it happened... And when, the, when Jesus institutes this last Lord's Supper and for us to reflect upon it, the purpose of all these events is to point us toward Jesus. It's massively important. Imagine a huge, big, flashing light sign. Jesus, Jesus is this way. And all the symbolism that happens is that pointing. So, the Passover happens. They feast on the lamb and they sprinkle the blood and then the firstborn child of all of Egypt is dead. This is the final plague that finally allows Pharaoh to relent. And you know what, God, you are in control. I'm, I'm, you can, Moses, take you and your people and, and get out of here. It sets them free because Pharaoh is scared of Jesus. But remember, this whole story is whispering the name of Jesus. It's foreshadowing the true and better Moses. It's foreshadowing the true and better Passover feast. It's foreshadowing the true and better Passover lamb. And we'll talk about all that symbolism as we go tonight. But, okay, so the, the Passover happens, and then it gets instilled among these Jewish people every year at this particular day, this particular week. We're going to have the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and we're going to have the Feast of the Passover. So every year, they celebrate this fact that it happened. Like, for us, we, we celebrate Thanksgiving in a few weeks. Every year, we celebrate the same thing at the same time. Every year in Christmas, we reflect upon the birth of Christ, and we celebrate Christmas together. Every year at Easter, we celebrate the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we celebrate those facts. We, we have historical monuments to help us remember. The Passover is just that. It's for all the Old Testament people to look back at what happened, how God provided freedom for his people. But ultimately, it's not a look back. It's a whisper of Jesus who is to come. So every year, 
the Israelites, every family kills a Passover lamb, kills a perfect lamb, and they feast on it. And they think and reflect, and Passover is this big, giant arrow pointing towards this Passover lamb. One more thought and illustration as we're walking tonight. This is a stool, right? And from time to time, I sit on the stool as I preach. Uh, and this, imagine this stool, this seat, is the redemption plan of God. What we sit on, what we rest on, the thing that we help, which we, we hope will support us. This redemption plan of God. Each of these things that we're going to talk about tonight are these, these stools, the, the, the legs of the stool. We're going to talk about five of them. So I wish I had a fifth leg to the stool, but then it wouldn't be a regular stool. So we're going to look at five different thoughts about this stool. It's very much, this sermon tonight is very much like a five-legged stool, and the seat of the stool is the redemption plan of God. So the first one is that Jesus is in control and he knows what's coming. Look with me at at verse 13 of chapter 14. It says, And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. First of all, it's very interesting because uh, in this age, women were the ones who carried the water. They went to the well and got the water, and then they brought it back. It was very odd to walk into a city and find a man carrying a jar of water because it was, generally speaking, a man's job was to, to gather and to hunt and to, to, to be strong, and it was a woman's job to go and, and bring water back to their house. So it was very odd, very easy for them to find a guy walking with a, a jar of water. Verse 14, And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room? And where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And I will show you a large upper room, and he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready there, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared for the Passover. Jesus is in complete control. He knows exactly what's going to happen. Imagine you are one of those two disciples, and Jesus says, okay, you're going to go into the city, you're going to find a guy carrying water. First instant, wait a minute, I'm not going to find a guy carrying water. Women are the ones that carry the water. Oh, wow, there's a guy carrying water. Wow. And they follow him, and sure enough, preparing in the house that he goes into is an upper room that's already prepared. And Jesus has already set all this stuff into motion. They found it exactly as Jesus said. Take courage. Take hope. Because Jesus has it planned. He is in control. He's in control now with all the uncertainty and hardship in my life. And there is an upper room that Jesus has prepared. And we are his disciples. And I want to connect with this story a little bit. It's, it's not just a pretty story where Jesus is in control. It's just for us to, to draw from, to relate to, that these events may seem far off or weird to you. But ultimately, we are living just as Jesus' disciples are. Let's connect with, with what's happening here with these disciples. It's a really surreal time. Jesus has been predicting his death for weeks now and being very specific as, as he walked through. Just yesterday, in the events that happened here, he had said, I'm going to die. My body is being prepared for burial. I'm going to die soon. And just days before that, he had come into some pretty intense conflict with some pretty powerful people. So it's very surreal, very nervous, very scary. These guys are filled with fear and confusion. And how much hope does it have to bring 
to these people that are filled with fear and confusion to see that Jesus says something weird is going to happen to you, and it happens just exactly the way he predicts it. Fear and confusion begin to be replaced with hope and peace. And that's what's happening here. The, the whole realm of the Passover is symbolic of this wedding feast, and now they're about to partake of it. And we share this in common with the disciples. We share this in common with the Roman Christians that Mark is writing this to. We share this in, in, in common with each other and with the rest of this globe right now. This is a world that's filled with pain and hurt and confusion and fear, but Jesus is in control. I want to read to you or, or speak to you a, a few instances of some friends that I have where fear and confusion are painting their lives. I have a friend who lives in Florida. I've uh, been connecting on, on Facebook with her. Uh, she is divorced a couple of times, and, and she's just looking for a job, and life is just really, really hard for her. And she's trying to find God in this circumstance where life is really, really hard for her. And she's filled with fear and confusion. How is she going to provide for herself? How is she going to provide for her, her kids? What does she do with, with the men that come into her life that she's been divorced twice and there's just difficulty all over her? I have a pastor friend, really, really close pastor friend who's struggling with some really difficult stuff in his church. Some, some things have happened in his church and it's making things really hard for him to be the pastor and leader and shepherd and prophet that God has called him to be. And he's confused and filled with fear for his people. I have an older friend who uh, is facing some health problems and some health issues and he's lived a great, awesome life. He's done well for himself financially. He's done well for himself in it from his family standpoint. He has done a lot of good with his life. But he's unsure of what the future holds for his life. He's at the retirement age. Do I retire? Do I not? All these things bring fear and confusion to his life. Many of us, for me in particular, for you in particular, we can look around. We probably don't have to look too hard to find fear and confusion and what's next in our lives. Just like these disciples are wondering what in the world is happening. How can Jesus really be in control of what's happening if he's talking about dying and if these really powerful people are in conflict with him? And we don't have to look too far to see the pain and confusion and hate in this world to see, God, how are you in control? But just like these disciples, we can connect with it. We can connect with this confusion. Listen close tonight because Jesus is talking to me and he's talking to you tonight. And he's saying he's in control and he has a plan. There might be pain. There might be hurt. There might be confusion. But it ends well. This Jesus is in control and he knows what he's doing is just one leg on the stool of God's great redemptive plan that we rest and we sit on. It provides us rest and hope. And the leg of it, the first leg, is that he is in complete control. He has a plan despite pain, despite confusion, and he is in complete control. Verse 18 points us to this direction, that there Jesus will be and is betrayed. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, but truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me will betray me. Now, don't connect with 
We all know from the story that it's Judas that is going to betray him, and he betrays him for 30 pieces of silver, and he sells Christ out for money. Don't connect with the, the ultimate uh, connection and, and condemnation of Jesus, but connect with the inward focus of all in, of, of these disciples. Imagine if we were sitting around a, a, a table tonight having a feast, and Jesus himself were here physically, and he were to say, one of you is going to betray me. My response, and I'm supposed to be the leader of this group, I'm the pastor, my response would be, I know my heart. It's probably me. I'm a wretched, sinful man. And, and I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we know the sin in our hearts, our response would be just like theirs. They began, verse 19, they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? If Jesus were sitting around a table with us and said, one of you guys is going to betray me tonight. One of you guys is going to betray me very soon. I would think our response would be to look inwardly and say, is it I? At the heart of it, we are all betrayers. I want to direct our attention to Isaiah 53. It's going to be on the screen. And a certain segment of the pronouns here have been highlighted and pulled out. Listen to these pronouns. Connect with your betrayal of Jesus. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are all betrayers. Jesus were to come before us and say, one of you will betray us. Our instant reaction ought to be, it's got to be me. I know who I am. We all need to be saved from our betrayal. We're going to sing a song in just a little bit. One of the words, the the lines in the song is, you've come to make a wretch his treasure. That's who we are. As we reflect on this stool that God's redemption plan is a seat of, one of the legs here that we have to come to grips with is I am a betrayer, which leaves me in desperate need of a Savior. Leaves me in desperate need of a Messiah, a Christ to come. The third leg of the stool is Jesus is the Passover lamb. The night before the angel of death came in the time of Moses, the thing that freed them from this oppression, the slavery in Egypt, that lamb was killed as a sacrifice for sins. And its blood was shed over the doorpost of the home. And it saved the firstborn son of that house. It was the sacrifice of that lamb and the covering of that blood that gave life. Jesus is that Passover lamb once and for all. We have a very similar oppression here in our lives. It's called sin. It oppresses us. It tells us what to do. We are slaves to the wretched, self-centered flesh that we walk around in. But Jesus is the Passover lamb. It's an ever-present slavery, an ever-present oppression that's upon 
us, just like for them, the Egyptians were in ever-present slavery. An Egyptian, the Pharaoh, could tell them what to do and when to do it at any time. Sin, for us, is that same oppression. Our hearts are inclined to sin, to run away from God. There's an old hymn we're going to sing also tonight. We are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. We're prone to leave the God I love. But God, take my heart and seal it. Allow me to sit and rest on the stool, the redemption plan that you have where you are that Passover lamb. Connect with that story. Gather around a husband and a wife. And and he says, Moses said, if we don't kill this Passover lamb, our child is going to die. The firstborn son is going to die. Jen and I sitting around the table. If we don't kill this perfect Passover lamb, Cooper is going to be dead in the morning. Imagine the, the intensity of the emotion that Jen and I would have felt in that moment. Imagine the intensity of the moment that, that your parents would have felt or you as parents would feel that this son is going to die, and, but this perfect lamb has been sh- killed, and now we partake of this sacrificial lamb. We get to actually consume it, eat it. It becomes the sustenance of our lives. And as we take each bite and chew each bite, Every bite we take is the, the salvation, the life that's given to our son. Forget about the story. Forget about the application of it. Go back to the Passover feast, the first one. When, imagine Jen and I sitting there eating this lamb like a steak. We would eat, when we go home tonight, we're going to go have enough dinner. We're going to, in each bite we take, we know that this, that we're eating, is saving Cooper. And the, the ecstasy that each of those bites would have to bring to us. As we partake of Christ, we and all of us are saved by this once and for all sacrificial lamb. Connect with the beauty of this. Sit securely on your redemption. Eat of Jesus and know the final Passover lamb has finished its work, and it supports your redemption. Isaiah 53.5. We're going to read it again. Different pronouns highlighted. Connect with the depth of this once and for all Passover lamb. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. We've seen leg one that Jesus is in control. Trust it. We have seen our leg two. We have betraying hearts we have seen now leg three jesus is the once and for all finished final passover lamb and his blood is sprinkled on our hearts as a result we have life this has to explode our hearts with worship and connect with the the greatness and all that's there it's beautiful when I was in high school, my sophomore year, I've told similar stories like this before. I'm a, I was a little bitty dude, weighed right about 95 pounds, 
uh, and I was trying to lose some weight uh, to make, yeah, ridiculous, right? 95 pounds and I'm trying to lose weight. Trying to lose like 10% of my weight to get down to a weight class. Uh, here's the story. Wednesday night, we have a big tournament. It was the Rittner tournament, the first kind of tournament of the year that really set the tone for the rest of the season. Uh, it's like you wrestle one match on Friday night and then like all Saturday. And I got to drop eight pounds. Uh, and there's there's a good deal of, of our body weight that's, that's water, and so we can sweat out five or six pounds pretty quickly. So Wednesday night, before the Friday match, I stopped eating and drinking completely. Um, and so Thursday happens, and, and Thursday I, I go to uh, this, this workout club my dad was a member of where there's a sauna and a pool and a, and a track to run. And so I, I take, like, a trash bag, because you put a trash bag on your skin, it makes you sweat more. Then I put, like, four sweatshirts on over the trash, trash bag, and I'm running and running and running and running. I ran seven or eight miles that night, and I would run, like, a mile and a half and then go sit in the sauna to rest. And so the sauna would make me sweat more. Then I put the trash bag and the clothes back on and run another mile. And then back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for like three hours. And get on the scale. And I'm still about two pounds overweight. But a lot of times they say after you do all this exercise, you wake up the next morning and you've lost another pound or so. So I'm really confident that I'm going to make it. But again, I'm 85 pounds. I'm this tiny little guy. And I've, I've run all this time and I've sweat out all of my 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 water weight and my lips are really chapped, and I just, I've got nothing in me. And uh, I go to bed that night, and I'm just obviously dying of thirst. And I a little Dixie cup of water. I drink a Dixie cup of water, and it was the most painful. I felt like I was, you know, just totally betraying my team by having a Dixie cup of water. Uh, and so the next day, I wake up and I weigh myself, and I'm like three quarters of a pound overweight, thinking, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to. One of the ploys of, of wrestlers is to suck on now and laters all day and take a cup. And, and now and laters bring, you know, make saliva come to your mouth and you can spit. You can typically lose like a quarter of a pound or so a day if you have a now and later and spit all day. And so that's what I do all day long. I get, it's Friday afternoon and it's like school gets out at 2.10 and, and the, my first match is like at 5 o'clock. And I, I run straight to the gym and get on the scale and I'm a quarter pound overweight. Um, and so... I go up to my friend that's heavyweight, and I'm like, you got to wrestle me for the next hour so I can lose some, you know, I, that's the best thing I can think of because I don't want to run because I'm totally exhausted. you got to just wrestle me. This guy weighs like 215, 220 pounds. Wrestle me for the next hour so that I can lose some weight. And uh, I put on a bunch of clothes, and he wrestles me, and I get back on the scale, and there's nothing left in me to lose. I st- I'm still a quarter pound of a weight, and I miss weight. I didn't make weight. Very, very sad. But... I stopped. After I missed weight, there's nothing to, to be on weight for because there's not another match again for like a week and a half. And so my mom picked me up from Rittner where I lost, missed the weight, and we went straight to Peroni's, and I had this large, a 95-pound 90, kid. I had a large pizza. I ate the whole thing and a whole lot of water. Uh, the, and the point of that story is in, in the midst of, of all of that, the, the little Dixie cup of water. I just, I just wanted a little bit of water. I, and I just wanted some food. I just needed some food. And even if I had made weight, I would have gotten smoked because I, I didn't have any energy. I didn't have anything to sustain my body and nothing to sustain to, to actually have strength to last 30 seconds in a match. 
the fourth leg, the fourth pillar, is Jesus' body and blood are our sustenance. They are what sustains us. I tried to rid myself of all of this weight, and I left myself overweight and unable to perform. And that's where we wind up. When we try to do things, when we try to sustain ourselves, we wind up missing our weight to begin with, and even if we, we would have made weight, we would have been irrelevant. This body is our sustenance. The symbolism is that His work sustains us, His body sustains us, and His blood covers us, protects us, hydrates us. I want to connect with communion. We take communion every week here. And I want to connect two things for us. This is our sustenance. The, the thing that draws us, the thing that, that gives us our strength is the body and blood of Jesus. And each week, we come together and we commune not only with God, we not only connect with God in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine. We, we connect with God and who He is, but we also connect with each other. We take of communion as a body. Every time you get up from your chair and you walk up here and you partake it, you proclaim to everybody around you, I am weak and I am frail and I can't save myself. We commune with God and the sacrifice that He made and we commune with each other by proclaiming to this world that I need your sustenance, I need your protection, I need your blood to cover me. But another thing to connect with is the second part of, of what communion is. For us, we serve ourselves. At the close of the service tonight, during response time, you're going to come up and you're going to walk up here and you're going to break the, the bread and you're going to dip it in the juice and you're going to eat it. There's no pastor that's needed. There's no priest that's needed. Jesus has provided the sacrifice. Your only job is to partake of it. You don't need me to make it happen. And I, I don't want to be saying anything bad about any other churches who, who the, the pastor or the priest provides it for us. We want to communicate that to you. There is no one that needs to stand between you and God. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. He is the priest. It's already been done, already been taken care of. So as you serve yourself tonight, this Passover feast, understand those two things. Connect with those two things. That you are communing with God and you are proclaiming to people and Jesus has provided the way for you to partake of this communion all the time and you need no one to go between you and God because Jesus has already provided it. We reflect on what sustains us. And then the fifth stool, the fifth leg that supports the stool is the kingdom is being set up. It is a restoration of, of rhythm. My, my wife has been out of town for the last four days. She got in late last night uh, and we had some responsibilities we had to take take care of so we haven't really been able to to you know be intimately together we were in different places all day today and uh with the stuff i got going on and jen trying to reestablish life and whatever we've been apart from each other but there's there's another thing that i really want to talk about from my heart whenever my wife and i have a, a problem whenever i do something dumb 
and, and selfish and, and hurt her, my heart is paralyzed. And when I mean paralyzed, I, I literally mean I'm, my heart is paralyzed. I can think of nothing else, but I've got to get back relationship with her. I've got to, to make her forgive me. I've got to, got to do something to reestablish relationship. It is thoroughly paralyzing to me. I, I can't be a dad. I can't be a pastor. I can't be anything until I know, until my heart is secure, that she is comfortable with me, that, that she has forgiven me, and we're past it. We've, we've talked about it a lot. Even if I do something really dumb, and I'm not aware of it on a Sunday, Jen knows we're not going to talk about it until after the service because she knows that I'm going to be a mess and worthless. I'm going to stand up here trying to preach to you guys knowing that my heart is disconnected from my wife and, and I can't operate, I can't work. So we, we have this agreement between us on Sundays. If I do something dumb, I don't hear about it until Sunday night. I don't hear about it until Monday morning because I'm paralyzed by it. And that same concept is what this kingdom of God is about. When we hear kingdom of God, we think about some great big heavenly deal or whatever. Ultimately, it's a restoration of the rhythm that we were designed to live in. God made our hearts for each other. We connect in, in deep, intimate ways. And when I have a wrong between us, I am totally paralyzed. I can't operate the way we... Our relationship is not all that it's meant to be. And it's the same principle. Rhythm is out of whack. There's strife that's just, that, that paints our relationship. And for us and God, when there is this sin in our lives, strife paints our relationship. Just like with Jen, I'm consumed with being reconciled to her. Just, I, I can't wait for her to... To, to nestle into when, when we hug. This is her safe place underneath my neck. And she, she cuddles into that spot. And I can't wait for her to be in that spot when I've wronged her. I can't wait for her to reach for me, to hold my hand. And that's the, the beauty of if you can connect with that. That's what, what God has provided His Passover lamb, His Son, Jesus Christ, for us so that we can operate in this rhythm that He designed us to work in. Strife is removed from our relationship. The kingdom of God is about being complete. The kingdom of God is about this restoration of them. All of Scripture, just like this sign, is pointing towards Jesus, who is the Passover Lamb, who is the restoration of this rhythm. All over Scripture... It says these things about Christ. He is preparing a place that cannot perish, cannot spoil, and cannot fade. Rest there. That we look back on, and the Old Testament points towards Jesus is here, and He is here to prepare a place for us that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. He is here to prepare a place that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, or mind has perceived, what He has prepared for us. These are all quotes from Scripture. He is preparing a place that is complete and is perfect. Come to grips with that. This last Passover lamb bringing your betraying heart and inheritance that can't perish, spoil, or fade. This magnificent, wonderful thing that the eyes of our world have never seen before. The beauty we have never beheld. Our mind has never conceived the greatness of what God has prepared for us. This is what waits 
for us. And it's complete and perfect. And what we, the beauty that we see in part now, the beauty that we see through a fog now, will be replaced with clarity and completeness. I think I love my wife. I think that I'm connected and deeply intimate with her. I only know how to love in part. And I only see love through this massive fog. Because there's sin that's around this world. But the kingdom of God has come to establish us, to bring restoration of relationship where we can know and experience love, know and experience Christ in a beautiful and perfect way that we cannot apprehend on this planet. And we cannot see the beauty of it on this planet. Because it's where Christ is. He has prepared a place where He is. I want to close reading John 14. Don't turn there. Just let these words wash over you. <coughs> these are the words of Christ. And, and before I read them, don't let these words be some preacher reading Scripture. Let these be the words of Christ washing over your spirit, the truth of God washing over your spirit. John 14.1 Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Everything, all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus as the way to this rhythm restoration, as the truth, the thing that doesn't change in any matter of consideration. He is the pillar that is not affected by its circumstances. We talked before about the fear and confusion of this world that paints us, that distracts us, that makes us like a buoy in a water. As, as, water, as, as a boat flies water, we are distracted. Christ is the truth. He does not change. He does not move. There is nothing that happens in this world that changes a single speck of who He is. The way, truth, and He is the life. Connect the Passover story and all these dead children and all the beauty of God's people whose children were alive because of the the feast. Jesus the way, the way to restored rhythm. Jesus is the truth that doesn't change. He is the life that we consume and be with. And the intimacy and the beauty of that. 
This is the redemption plan of God that we have the wonder of enjoying. And tonight, when we stand and we worship, we get to connect with that. When we take of communion, we get to connect with that. And as we walk and as we experience relationships, as we say, I love you so much, we connect with the beauty that God has provided for us to, to be in communion, in relationship with each other, to be in communion, in relationship with God. He has shown love through His Son, Christ. Jesus is the, the sacrificial, once and for all, Passover lamb, but He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. As you worship tonight, as you worship when you wake up and get out of bed tomorrow morning, know that joy and peace and hope and love have been brought to you. What we know only in part and seen only through a fog now, Jesus has come to restore and bring to you. And that's the hope that we have that can't perish, spoil or fade, and is kept in heaven for us. Let's pray. God, you are so Beautiful. Lord, I thank You for the Old Testament story of Moses and the Passover lamb. A flawed man in Moses leading his people to You. Pointing to You. Moses was a good man, but Jesus was the true and better Moses. And He brought the Passover lamb. These people had to sacrifice that day. And they looked back to that Passover. Jesus is the true and better and final Passover. God, thank You for Christ. Lord, now as we respond in these moments, would You burn into our consciousness the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of His sacrifice, the beauty of Your redemption plan. And may we sit filled in trust and hope and faith on Your redemption plan that You provided for us. God, we trust You. Lord, I want to proclaim this message to the world. Help each of us to connect with the worship of, of, of these words, Father. But may that worship bubble over into, into mission as we proclaim the truth and beauty of this to those relationships You've brought to us, Father. God, bring those to our minds. This is a, a vital time, God. Hearts and minds are turning to You Everywhere, God. Lord, bring faces into the minds of these people here tonight. Bring faces into our minds. Those to proclaim this beautiful message of hope and peace to. This message of redemption and reconciliation. And God, allow our hearts to worship You, Father, and that to bubble over into living a life on mission, proclaiming Your Gospel. God, so many are filled with fear and confusion. Begging 
for just a tiny bit of of joy, a tiny bit of peace and hope, God. God, guide our hearts, guide our lives as we seek to, to worship you, as we seek to live out the mission you've called us to. We trust you fully. I want to say that I love you so much. But I want to love you more. It's in Jesus' perfect name. Amen.